0: The Apostle Paul, as we understand, he's in the church at Corinth. He's there. He's been there now for several months. He's on his third missionary journey as he's traveling through Asia Minor. And he has a burden, as he's heard about this church being established in Rome. And uh, the church there in Rome, as we get to chapter 16, they weren't meeting in some big old building. They were meeting in houses scattered throughout Rome. About five or six homes that they were meeting in. And uh, so he was writing to the church uh, and uh, instructing them. He wanted to instruct them in three different areas, uh, in doctrinal areas. Doctrine is very important. And so he wanted to instruct them. It was mostly made up of Gentiles, by the way. And he wanted them to understand what the problems that they were hearing and what was going on with the division among the Jews and the problems that Judaism was was bringing to many of the Christians. He wanted them to understand that the church is founded upon Judaism and that he didn't want them to have an attitude toward the Jews because the Jews is the one that God used to give them their Bible. And... Uh, And so here's a segment of the book of Romans where uh, he writes to them concerning the Jews, concerning Israel, and uh, concerning how that God has loved and he will continue to love Israel, even though uh, right now they're not a part or not being uh, used in building up the church because uh, they have been cut off. There are some Jews saved, and he instructs them to go to the Jews first and then go to the Gentiles. But he also wants to remind them that in uh, God's uh, final program, uh, that he's going to bring Israel back into his program, and God is going to fulfill his promise and his covenant with Israel, and open their eyes, and there'll be a great conversion. And then he concludes with some, some practical instructions, But the doctrinal instructions that he gives to the church at Rome is outstanding. It's overwhelming. It's greater than any of the other epistles as he gets into all the areas dealing with our salvation and dealing with the justification, the redemption, the atonement, uh, the sanctification, the glorification, all of these things that are so important. And uh, we'll get into those. Uh, It's only through the Apostle Paul that he gets into the various views of redemption, how that we were redeemed out of the marketplace, how we were sold into slavery through sin, and how Jesus Christ came in and and bought us out of that. Uh, And he uses different uh, Greek words. Greek language is amazing, Greek language as he uses uh, Exagoroso and Agoroso and, and true, talking about how we were loose from sin and from the change of bondage through sin, how that Jesus Christ went into the slave market of sin and purchased us out of the slave market of sin. Gets into the really depth uh, understanding of what true redemption is and how we've been set free and how that freedom was Was With a price, the word redemption means that that someone had to make a payment to get us out of that sin. God can't just arbitrarily turn us loose from sin and uh, and turn us loose from uh, the bondage of sin, the condemnation of sin. Uh, A price has to be paid, and the price was paid, and it was paid in full. And it wasn't uh, through us, and it's not through the church, but it's through Christ and through Uh, that redemption, we now have justification. And because we are justified, uh, we have been set apart under God. That's our sanctification. And then he assures us that one day uh, we are going to experience the glorification of our sanctification as we enter into his presence. And he promises future glorification as far as our bodies are concerned as well. All of these things are arguments and explanations that he gets into and so it's a very interesting study he talks about the depravity of sin and how man has and we'll see that as we get deeper into this chapter how man just continues uh, as as uh uh, god in his patience and in his mercy could continues uh To allow us to linger in this world a little longer, and that's only by the grace of God. Just think, if Jesus Christ was to come fifty years ago, uh, many of us uh, would not. Well, I think, did I get saved? I've been saved. Yeah, I've been saved for fifty-five years now. Well, most of you, you know, out of God's grace, would not make it into heaven. And so, it's by the mercy and the grace of God. Uh, that uh, God is patient. I remember hearing the story of Ingersoll. He was a famous uh, atheist that stood before a large congregation of people and defied God to kill him in five minutes' time. And the congregation watched, and he said, All right, Uh, God, here, strike me down dead. I dare you. Strike me down dead. Strike me down. Stop my heart right in five minutes. I dare you. If you really exist then strike me down within five minutes. And there were people in the audience, and they were gasping for air. One lady, when it came to the fourth minute, she even faded. And so after the five minutes was passed, well, he was still alive, and he said, well, see, God doesn't exist. I challenged him to strike me down dead. Later, a famous preacher said, what a fool to think that God's patience is limited to five minutes. God is long-suffering, and uh, what a fool to think that he could even challenge God with something like that, but I like the thought that he said, what a fool to think that God's patience is limited to five minutes. God is very patient with us. God is long-suffering, and God is very patient with Israel, and he is very long-suffering, and we look over there today and we see all the unbelief and atheism and ungodliness and how the GPTQ movement has, 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 if one of the largest movements, they have the largest gay pride parade of any place in the world right there in Israel, in Tel Aviv, and they also have it in Jerusalem. And many of these are Jewish people, and they've marched down the road, and they got these Orthodox Jews standing out there, and they just simply chant, we're in your face, we're here to stay. But they won't be there very long. The King of Kings is coming, and he's going to set everything in order. Uh, righteousness will reign when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, and Paul gets into that righteousness. And so... <clears throat> here we find, as we looked last week, we saw Paul's salutation in verses 1-7, through 7, how the Apostle Paul gave to us the understanding of his calling, that God has called him. He wanted us to understand that his name is Paul. That was the Latin name. That was the name that he received as a Roman citizen. His Jewish name was Saul, but Saul means big man. He didn't like being called a big man any longer. He wanted to be called the little man. And so he chose to use his Latin name. He called himself a servant. And what an honor it is to be a servant of the Lord. He also wanted to assure us that he is an apostle. And he gives us all the credentials of an apostle. We looked at, his, at all of this and his relationship uh, that uh, he has with the Lord. The line of promises that God has given and how he... Assures us that he is writing to assure us that the Davidic covenant is going to be fulfilled. That Jesus Christ has universal lordship. All of these we talked about in the introduction last week. Tonight we want to get into Paul's desire and his plans to visit the church at Rome. As we've already said to you, the church at Rome was a church that was a very eclectic type of church made up of all kinds of Gentiles from all the various parts of uh, the city of Rome. Rome was a very large city, and uh, the church was scattered throughout Rome. And uh, they were meeting in houses, and and so Paul wrote this letter. When we get to chapter 16, you'll see the various places that the letter is going to. In verse number 8 of Romans chapter 1, we read where he says that first I want to thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. This was a very exciting church. It was a very strong church. It was a fairly large church, but it was a church that was spread throughout the, the, the city of Rome and They were meeting in various places. They were in in one big, huge congregation. Because of their location, they had great opportunity. Uh, Rome was the focal center of the world, and there were people that visited from all over the world, and uh, they had great opportunity to be a witness. What an opportunity we have here in Southern California. We have just about every nation represented here in the state of California. In Southern California. You uh, have small. Large communities. Of uh, just about every nation. Uh, and so. what The mission field. Is right here in Southern California. And many of those people. Go back to their native land. And what an opportunity. To get the gospel out. Well the same thing was going on there in Rome. We also find that Rome. <clears throat> Paul was thankful for. Uh, the, the faithfulness of the church notice uh, he talks about their faithfulness and uh, I, you know, I can't help but think that maybe they had an influence upon the church at Thessalonica as well because there were those that would come and visit Rome and they would get saved and then they would go back and they would share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in those places where Paul had went and established other churches uh, we read in First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 6 through 8, and Paul is writing to this church, and he says, because, he says, and ye, because followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were in samples or examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. And for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God's word is spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. Now, the reason that there are some that believe that the church at Rome had an influence upon what was going on in these other churches is because Paul said their faith was spoken of throughout the world. And so there were others that were spreading about, going to Rome, visiting Rome, trusting Christ, taking the gospel, going to these various cities where Paul was ministering establishing churches, and they were sharing their faith. And so we find that when we get to heaven, we have no idea... Uh, just how much our faith has influenced others. God keeps perfect records. And that's why it's important that we speak of our faith wherever we go. As we move on, we see in Romans chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, of the witness, for he says, God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayer, making requests, if by means now of length I might have prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I might impart unto you some spiritual gifts, to the end that you may be established. That is, that I may comfort it together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, that's interesting. What he's saying here, what Paul is saying is that, that he wanted the Roman Christians to know that uh, he was concerned for them, that he's heard about their testimony, uh, that uh, there's a need for them to be doctorally uh, instructed and, and doctrinally built up in the Word. And that um, he is going to faithfully pray that that would happen. And that the faith that they have, that they would continue uh, to reciprocate that faith. As he shared his faith with them, as he's writing to them, as he's encouraging them, uh, that that would reciprocate back to him. So he makes it very clear here as he he speaks, first of all, concerning his care for them and his prayers for them, that he was praying for some people that he only heard about, souls that uh, their testimony has been uh, spread throughout the entire world. Have you heard what's going on in Rome? Have you heard the number of people that are getting saved there, how they're receiving Christ and how they're proclaiming the gospel? And exciting things that God is doing. And so Paul is praying for these people. He's praying that God will continue to use them. That God will keep them strong in faith and strong in doctrine. He's writing that his letter will be received and that they will grow by the letter. Because what he is writing to them is not just a letter but it's a message from God. That God's hand is upon him. That he has the seal of an apostle. And that what he is writing is from the Lord himself as he was instructed by the Lord Jesus Christ in the backside of the desert for more than three years. Just as the disciples were discipled by Jesus for three years. And how now they are writing and how they're spreading forth the gospel and they write by divine inspiration. as The Holy Spirit uses them to pin the very words of God so God is doing the same for him. Are with him, uh, to them and to these other churches, also instructing them that what he writes unto them that they share with others. And they were very faithful to do that, and they were very faithful to keep these letters and very faithful to take those letters and, and share them uh, and the mutual faith that they had so that it reciprocated back to us to where we have those letters with us today. And how exciting is that? that they were that faithful and so it was important that they be prayed for because he realized what God was doing in establishing his word and using them to prolificate that word and so we have responsibility because we're doing the same today we have missionaries on the field how often do we pray for our missionaries how often do we pray for those that we know nothing about The Apostle Paul made it very clear in Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 18, when we put on the whole armor of God, that part of that armor is praying always. Notice he says in verse number 18, always with all prayers and supplications in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Right there is within a message because we need to be praying with prayers that persevere, Uh, praying earnestly, praying in supplication. Uh, Supplication just simply means that we are on our knees praying sincerely and our hearts are concerned and burdened as we pray for these people that we've never met that the souls would be reached through them, that they would remain strong in the gospel, the message of God's word that would be carried out to the saints throughout their region, that they would stand strong against the adversaries that want to break them down, uh, that they would not allow the infiltration of the corrupt doctrines that are out there uh, to any way deceive them or convolute uh, the word of God and the message that they're preaching. And so, <clears throat> watching thereunto with all perseverance. And we find that when they prayed, they Paul prayed, he prayed with confidence. He prayed for God's will to be done in their life. We're reminded of what is said by the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 14. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Well, we know it's God's will that they remain strong in the faith. We know that it's God's will that their love would grow, that they would share Christ with each other, that they would love their neighbor. I think of this little Sunday school boy, raised his hand when the teacher said, love thy neighbor, and he raised his hand and he says, yes. What's your question? He says, love my neighbor. Does that mean the neighbor on both sides? <laughs> yes, it means the neighbor on both sides. The love of those that are saved and those that are not saved. The love of our neighbors that are all about us. Lord, give them a, a broken heart. Give them, Give them righteousness. But you see, it's hard to pray for those things if those things are not in our life. We might want to pray, first of all, Lord, uh, give me a broken heart. And then, Lord, uh, that same contrition and brokenness, that yielded spirit that uh, I'm asking you for, would you also give it to those missionaries that they're on the field? And then we move on and we see that Paul's reason for wanting to visit the church at Rome. Kind of Interesting. We see that he wanted to impart to them spiritual gifts. When later he wrote, as we get into chapter 12, as he continues writing, we find out what those spiritual gifts are. For he wrote in chapter 12, for I say that through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith, as we have many, many members in one body. And so, Lord, those that have the gift of prophesy, I pray that they will prophesy. Those that have the gift of teaching, I pray that they will teach. Those that have the gift of mercy, I pray that they will show mercy. And so he was praying, but he was also wanting to instruct them in those gifts. That they would seek after the gift that God has given them. Because God has measured the measure of faith unto us according as he wills. And every one of us have a certain degree of God's measure of faith that he's given unto us. And it's been given unto us us liberally. And uh, we all have uh, a special gift that God has given to us. One may have the gift of mercy. One may have the gift of leadership and government. Another one may have the gift of instruction and preaching. But we all have gifts. And we are to exercise those gifts. And he wants to instruct them in those gifts. And some have several gifts. But he made it very clear. Notice again he says that we're not to be exalting ourselves because, hey, God gave me the gift of prophesying. He only gave you the gift of mercy. (laughs) Well, the one with mercy is the one that probably brings greater grace into the church. But we're not to think that we are any better than the other person. But we are to work together as one body serving in that church the measure of faith that God has dealt out in that church through the individuals that make up that one body. Because we're all working together. The eye does not brag to the nose that I can see and you can't. But the nose will say, well, so what? I can smell and you can't. (laughs) But uh, we're all working together as one body. And they would understand those gifts. And notice he says the mutual faith. Interestingly, he says that I may be confronted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. In other words, as my faith goes out to you, may your faith come back to me. May we see our faith reciprocating. May we see our faith going out and others growing in that faith and their faith reciprocating back to us. Paul was declaring to the believers that that we have something to give each other. As we have received from the Lord, as we have received from these apostles, as we have received from God's word, as we have received through the preaching of God's word, as we have received through the anointing of God's Spirit and the prompting of God's Spirit by those things that God has instructed us, we are to use those things to help others. We find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 11, such as encouraging and comfort, comforting one another. He says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do not backbiting, not tearing down, uh, not allowing our feathers to get ruffled and say, well, you know, I can't fellowship with those people any longer, but being an encourager and a comforter and edifying and building up. To edify means exactly what it means, to build up, to build each other up in character, to build each other up in faith. But Satan wants us to come up, he wants to come into the church and discourage those to where they're no longer edifying but tearing down. Well, I don't think the church is friendly as it used to be. I sense that this church is is spiritually backslidden. We're not unified like we should be. You know, a little bit of negativity starts spreading through the church and next thing you know, Well, we're finally in that place. But if we think the church is at a place to where uh, we're not as spiritual as we should be, well, then your job is to edify, to encourage, to build up. You know, just to say, Brother, can I encourage you to come out with me soul winning? I don't see you on Wednesday night. Brother, it would be a blessing if you'd come. In fact, I'll take you out for a cup of coffee or I'll take you to Dairy Queen, you know, you know. But just to encourage, but not in a way to where they're being reproved and rebuked, but to build them up. And these, these, uh, this is what we're to do. Mutual faith, such as equipping each other for the work of the ministry. As we see in Ephesians chapter 4, God gave gifts to the church for what reason? He gave apostles, he gave pastors, he gave preachers, he gave teachers. For what? The perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Until we all come together in the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man and to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. So it's our job as Christians in our mutual faith to encourage one another, build one another, and try to do our best to keep people united Amen. and growing in the Lord till the Lord comes. Amen. Building up the body of Christ, not tearing down the work, And not doing what so many do, try to tear down their knowledge in the faith of God, pull them away, and there are those that come out, they, they come in in wolves. They come in in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. And, and uh, you know, it's your pastor's job to watch out for those people. And every now and then I, I find a few of them. They come in with their hyper-Calvinism. They come in with their, with their you know, replacement theology or whatever, with their liberal views. And uh, I just pull them to the side and say, you know, I hear you've been talking to some of our people about that view. We don't hold to that view. Here's our Constitution and bylaws. Here's what we believe. And we stand united in these areas. And if you don't stand united with us, then there's, I, I don't know of a church out there that's, that holds that view, but I'm sure there's someone out there, but maybe you need to go find that place because it's not here. Because they're, they're out there. As a young preacher, I tried my best to pastor them. I learned very quickly, you can't pastor them. They want to pastor you. Edifying one another in peace. Paul said in Romans chapter 14, verse number 19, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and the things wherewith one may edify another. Be careful about things that tear down, uh, things that pull us apart. We don't want to allow those things into our church. We need to encourage one another and edify and build up to where we are living and working together in the unity of peace. And so often those situations come, and. And we work together to keep that peace. We work together to build each other up. We work together to encourage one another. Because the the devil is constantly working together to tear us down. And you can be sure, just give it in time as the church begins to grow, he'll do his best to tear it back down. But we can continue to grow if we will grow together doing our part. Sharing our mutual faith and being on guard for those things. And Paul was warning them of those things. And then as we conclude, we see in verses 13 through 15, he says, Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I'm a debtor. I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. See, Paul purposed. We can purpose to do many things, but sometimes there's outside hindrances that keep us from doing what we purpose to do. But Paul didn't allow those outside hindrances to stop him. You now he was delayed at times, but he didn't allow eventually Paul did get the Rome <laughs> but boy, what a what a delay and what a hardship there was shipwrecks, there was all kinds of peril there was naked, nakedness, there were beatings, there was starvation, there was imprisonment, but eventually he got the Rome, but he got there in bombs. <laughs> And the church came and visited him while he was there in, you know, in the gallows and the guillotines. Down there in in those places that you can visit if you forget to visit Rome where Paul got to stay. They're not pleasant places. But he was willing to go to Rome. He wanted to go to Rome. And eventually he got there. And sometimes we get where God wants us to go, but we don't get there the way we want to go. (laughs) But if that's where God calls you, then God eventually will get you there. And so there were many hindrances. The devil worked in many ways, but he got there. what a blessing that he was able to get there. What a strong church that was established. Paul realized his debt. He was a Roman citizen. He loved the people of Rome. He loved the country that he was a citizen of. He understood that there were Roman soldiers that went out and fought. And they gave their lives for the freedoms that they had there in Rome. He understood that Rome wasn't built overnight. He understood the adversaries and the people that fought and the blood that was shed, the wars that were battled, the hundreds of thousands of Roman soldiers that gave their lives so that this country could be established. And what a great country it was. What an influence they had upon the world. Much of our government today is... Fashion after the Roman government. And so Paul says, I'm a debtor to this country. Well, we're a debtor to our country. We think of the the bloodshed that has been poured out by our forefathers so that we could have the freedom to preach the gospel. uh, So that we could go door to door and tell others about Jesus Christ. We think about the sacrifices that many have made. Uh, Rome, all, they said all roads lead to Rome. Uh, Rome uh, made sure that that you could travel the world. They built roads and highways that uh, traveled all over the known world. Because of the labor and the sacrifices that were made, Paul could travel those roads. He could get to those cities. He could journey to those cities. Paul said, you know, I'm a debtor because of what God has provided. Yeah, there are countries today that they're not accessible. There are places where you can't get to certain villages unless you either fly in or you take a boat or you ride a mule or a horse to get in there. We have it. We have it so easy. We have highways and roads that lead to every city and to every village. And we're debtor to those people because God has given us access to get to those people. And Paul understood that. And he says, you know, here is an open door. Here's accessibility to go and to travel. And I can travel easily. I can get the gospel out without hindrance, without delay. I can I can get in a carriage, and I can travel all over this country. And I'm going to use those highways to get to those cities so I can get into Asia Minor, so I can travel through Achaia and to Macedonia and to the regions beyond. But also indebted to Rome because they built those cities. My wife and I, when we were over in Israel, we were told that there were certain highways that the Roman government had built. I remember we had our tour bus pull over, and we walked about a couple hundred yards through the woods there in Lebanon. And uh, up there in the mountains, it used to be just nothing but desert, but... Uh, Over the last 40 years, they went in there and they put those little seedlings in and planted those trees, and now it's a regular forest. You'd never think that at one time that was all desolate. We could see those old Roman roads that those Romans laid down. Still there today. God used the Romans so that the gospel could spread. And Paul said, I'm a debtor to all of that. I have responsibility to get that message out. We have responsibility. As long as we have the freedom to preach the gospel, we are debtor to get that gospel message out. Unless we're put in bonds and put in prison to where we can no longer get it out, we're a debtor to those people that are lost and to those that have shed their blood for the freedoms that we have. We're a debtor to our children to make sure that we give them the gospel by the way, Christianity is becoming more and more hated in America because there are fewer Christians giving out the gospel. And there are a lot more liberals out there that are talking about their liberal views and how we are attacking them for their liberal views. I just read today that they're saying that the far right within the GOP, which are made up largely of Christians are greater terrorists than the democratic people who burned down buildings and who went out in protest and set fire to cities and and spit in the faces of police officers and and shot and killed people uh, that were much more dangerous than they are, because we're ripping away the core of freedom in America by taking away the rights of women to do with whatever they want to do with their bodies. If uh, These radical people that are to the right, that are made up mostly of the GOP, that our fundamental radical Christians, if they continue to have their way, women will no longer have the right to have an abortion. Gays and lesbians will no longer have the right to lobby in our public schools and teach their agenda. That if we allow these radical Christians to have their rights, then America will no longer have the freedom to do what they want to do. Because we're going to push our values off on them. That's the way they look at Christianity today. And they're coming after you. Unless we outnumber them. And there was a time where we did outnumber them. But now they're outnumbering us. And their voice is much louder than our voice. Because our voice is so weak. Well, we are debtors to them, to the enemies of the faith. They take the gospel to them as well. Yesterday we were out door knocking, and I was, <laughs> I asked Renee Jr. if he wanted to go with me, but I don't know if he heard me or what, so I ended up going by myself. Half the doors uh, that uh, I knocked on where they answered the door were gay men. I had at least four doors where they opened the door, and they were very cordial, and I was cordial and invited them to come and visit our church and share the gospel with them, but they didn't want to hear, (laughs) and they just said, no, thank you, and shut the door. But they're taking over 80%, 80 Palm Springs now is 80% gay, 80%. Cathedral City, 40% and growing. Uh, Eventually, they're, they're moving in all over. And eventually, they're going to have a much louder voice than we do. We have a job to do. Our morality has been flushed down the toilet. We're legislating immorality. And they're going to do everything to stop us. They don't want to hear the Bible. They don't want to hear the gospel because they don't believe the lifestyle that they're living is sinful. They understand that sex is something that is all moral, and it needs to be left alone. But God speaks more about fornication, immorality, and adultery than he does any other sin of immorality. So go figure. We got a big job to do. I will say this, while I was out door knocking, we had a couple, a family visit Sunday, on Mother's Day, and uh, I looked, I couldn't find their card, uh, and so we didn't follow up on their visit. I knocked on their door, they didn't answer, I didn't. I didn't hang around, I guess, long enough for them to answer, but I did wait for a few minutes couple minutes at least and then I moved on and they finally got to the door they saw the track and and uh, John ran me down I was about five houses down and he came running up there hey, hey 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 come back here come back here and I went back there and he says hey you're you're Pastor Nolan yeah we were there on Mother's Day we've been wanting to meet you And so I said, well, good, and so I went back and my wife and a little baby girl, uh, Mm -hmm. Sherry Ann, about eight months old, and and, uh, the mother, uh, uh, what's her name, Uh, I think Julie, anyway, uh, we had a great conversation. They said, so We filled out visitor's card and we were we told you that we're interested. Well, I looked all over. I still couldn't find their visitor's card. I don't know what happened to it. But uh, anyway, I just kind of thought that was of the Lord. It's interesting that we just out there and at random find someone like that. But uh, yeah, they're very interested in the church. There are people out there. It's on a different footnote, but we need to get out there. We need to shake the bushes. Uh, We need to have a voice. The more people we can reach with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the louder our voice becomes. And it may draw some attention toward us. But uh, we can show love and we can show grace. I don't think they're going to show much love and much grace. But what this world needs is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to give them. I believe very strongly, greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. We may not see revival in the world, but we can see revival in our community. And we need to pray for it. It is the will of God, by the way. Praying for all saints and praying for those that we might say ain't, that they would be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Word. We know that the message of the gospel is that message of hope. May we take that message to the world. Paul said, I am ready to preach the gospel. May we be ready to preach the gospel here in Cathedral City. May we be ready to go out into our neighborhood and into our sphere of influence and share Jesus Christ with those that we come into contact. For we ask it in Jesus' name and all of God's people say it.